Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the world's weirdest background music. Um, yeah, I cannot figure this out, but I'm loving it. You guys are on the journey with me, I suppose. It'll calm down here in a second, I think, then it picks back up. Anyway, welcome to Pardon My Clarity Podcast. I'm your host, John Maskey. And as usual, today we're going to pick a topic that is non-confrontational. And we'll go from there. Yeah, this should be fun. I also love how in the last episode, I was like, hey guys, this will be shorter than usual. And then it literally was like the longest episode I've had so far. So that's great. I have no concept of time or respecting the time of others. So that's fun. Um, and it's only week two, guys. It just gets worse from here. Oh man, today's episode. My, my goodness. This topic is tough, man. Because it's, could there be louder banging of dishes in the background, by the way, honestly. Like, I think my wife is learning how to do the drums upstairs. So, fun times. Also, I'm not washing the dishes, so silent judgment from all of you for that, too. That's great. But hey, I'm living in the love of Jesus, not the work, right? Which is a perfect segue into today's episode about legalism. Oh boy, here we go. Legalism. The definition of legalism in the Oxford English Dictionary as a noun, and this is going to be controversial, is defined as excessive adherence to law or formula. The theological definition is defined as dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. Now, there are so many interpretations and made-up definitions of this word from other people who deem it everything from, you know, anything that is done in as a work in the name of Jesus all the way to the opposite, opposite end of the spectrum, which is uh, it's only reserved for those who try to work their way to heaven by doing good works. Neither of those definitions are accurate. The Oxford English Dictionary definition is dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. This term has been used, misused, and abused by, Christian by Christianity and non-Christians alike, both in its de defense and as an accusation. What we will try to do today is review the various ways it has been used, hold it against scriptural teaching, and see how these definitions hold up. There's basically two definitions that we're going to go over today. Uh, the first one I'd like to go over is from those who use this term as a way of defining salvation by works. This use is used typically in the negative connotation, as most of these as both of these connotations are actually. Uh, it's used in a negative connotation in an accusatory manner against certain religious groups. I believe that the theological definition of this word is well used in this sense as it certainly would hold that working to obtain salvation would, in fact, be dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. We see this in multiple passages throughout the scripture. And for sake of time and the almost certain familiarity of all of you guys with you know these verses, I'll only give three passages from scripture. I'll also give them to you in several different versions, so I'll make sure to offend everyone all at once. The first passage we're going to go over is Ephesians chapter 2, and you might be more, most of you are probably familiar with verses 8 and 9, but we're going to start back at verse number 4 in the ESV. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which with, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse number 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse number 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The second passage I'd like to go over is Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13, and we'll read this in the King James Version. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse number 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse number 12, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The third and final passage I'd like to give as a proof text for this is Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, and I'll read it from the NLT. In verse number 3, it says, Once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Verse number 4, But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Verse number six, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Now, I'm sure... None of those passages were unfamiliar, and I'm sure as far as the middle passage in the King James, probably like myself, y'all could just quote it from memory. These are well-known passages. They've been ground into us. Most denominations, most Christians are understanding that salvation is by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing, no works involved. The second way that the word legalism is used is in regards to post-salvation Christianity or the Christian life, right? So after we're saved, how we live afterwards. Given that the actual dictionary definition of the word legalism does not specifically mention exclusion to works-based salvation, we can also use it correctly in this regard. Within reason, of course. Now, I want to spend a little more time on this point because I believe this is the definition that is the most used and the most misunderstood. There are those who throw this definition at anyone who emphasizes the work of God or a work of God or the Great Commission, and in doing so, they abuse the meaning entirely. On the other hand, there are those who guilt trip, mislead, and twist the nature of God to become something that is entirely against our scriptural understanding of Him. In this regard, the accusation of legalism is well applied and well deserved. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, 
according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul writes to the church at Colossia. The church, so that means those who are already saved, right? And he warns them of those who would muddle the teaching of Christ with human tradition, philosophy, and deceit. There are those who preach salvation by grace, but not spiritual growth through grace, okay? They only teach salvation applied to eternal destiny, but not eternal purpose. In the King James, Romans chapter 14, verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. In the ESV, it reads, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Quarreling over opinions or methods where Jesus has laid out a mandate is to put our function over our faith. When we demand that God's laws must be enforced within our preferred methods, we speak where God does not. We put our methods over our mandate, and we lose the whole point of our calling as Christians. Jesus summed it up perfectly when he said this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. It's the NET. When asked about the greatest commandment, Jesus answered the question by instructing love of God and fellow man. From this love, service will make sense. From this love, service will be fruitful. From this love, Christ is glorified. The problem is that most Christians start with the commandments as a way to earn the affection of God. They get the greatest commandment in Scripture completely backwards. Love God first. How? By serving Him, by knocking doors for Him, by studying Him, by ritual for Him, by good deeds in His honor? How? We love Him by knowing Him. How can you love somebody you don't know? How can you fall in love with someone you only serve but you never converse with? How can you love someone you only do things for? When we start with love for God, we see His love for others. This will lead us to love them as well. And in doing so, all the instruction and opportunity to reach them will flow outward as the love of the Father consumes us. We must stop trying to earn the affection of Jesus by working for him. So, to sum up, we must love God and others, and through that love, we begin our service for him. By doing so, we avoid the web of legalism, where we try to earn God's favor by just working for him. This is a controversial topic, and today's episode is probably not going to clear up that water anymore as far as the as far as the, the the picking of sides but that's not the point i would like to define our terms for us because the word legalism is getting thrown around in such a tumultuous way and people on one side of the aisle are using it in a way that means something completely different from people on the other side so we've got people that say, no, legalism means salvation by works. And then you've got a whole other group of people that are saying, well, no, legalism means trying to earn God's affection. 
And I'm saying both of these terms are correct in that they are against scripture. We should not be trying to work our way to heaven. Neither should we be trying to earn God's affection after we're saved by doing things for him. The problem is we're using the word legalism and smacking it across the aisle back and forth in a way we don't understand. Let's clarify the term so we understand what we're saying and why we're saying it so that when someone uses this term, we have a better understanding instead of maybe getting triggered or feeling defensive or getting frustrated because the person on the other side doesn't understand our term. In fact, it might be better for us to avoid the word in some cases when we're speaking to people who refuse to acknowledge our definition of the word. All I can do is lend clarity to the definition of this word and then of course apply biblical truth to what we're all trying to say and i hope this episode can lend some of that clarity in your situation if you're someone who's sitting there going the word legalism gets thrown at what i do for jesus all the time and it offends me because it's not true what i'm doing is not legalism i i stand with you I understand this word has been abused. It has been thrown around carelessly. And I believe in doing so, we have caused division in the body of Christ by using it as a easy target to slap someone across the face who is doing things differently or more or, or in a different manner than we would do it. But I also believe that we must understand that Legalism does not just apply to salvation by works. It applies to spiritual life by works. In other words, serving God through the lens of I'm trying to please my deity because if I don't work for him, I will incur his wrath. This is also unbiblical. So after all is said and done, is this terminology a hill worth dying on? I think we need to consider some hard truths. We must always deliver our truth in love, and we must deliver it in clarity. Legalism in the dictionary is defined as dependence on moral law rather than on personal faith, which means it's properly applied to those who seek salvation by works. It is also correctly applied to those who depend on their good works to stay in the favor of God after salvation. But there is nothing wrong with a heart of love working tirelessly for the Father. Jesus was a hard worker who loved the Father and he loved others and was not afraid to call out legalism in the religious structure around him. He was not lazy or slothful. By the way, work for the Father is a biblical concept. It is encouraged, it is promoted, and it is required of every Christian. We have a job to do. Once we understand that these truths are not in opposition to each other, we begin to learn some balance, right? Martha and Mary. Work and worship. Duty and devotion. Love and labor. Not one or the other. We are both soldiers and sons. We are both ambassadors and heirs. We are loved, and through that love, we love others. I know this is a divisive topic, but my heart would be that the children of God 
would stop fighting amongst each other and focus on the actual job that we have been given to do. Our job, it is not our position or place to defend God's name. He is fully capable of defending himself. We must be very careful when we attack another brother or sister in Christ because they're working for God more than we think they should be, or their emphasis is more on the work of God than the worship of God or the relationship of God. We must stop criticizing and microanalyzing every gift given to the Father. It's not our place. It's not our gift. It's not ours. It's the Father's. On the flip side, we must not criticize those who spend a little extra time at the feet of Jesus, worshiping and loving and weeping over him. Because there's work to be done. There will always be work to be done. And yes, it is not our place to judge others in this regard as well. The Father's work is the Father's work. He will determine the ratio of work and love in someone else's life. I don't want to be slothful, but I also don't want to be a slave serving from a place of command and mandate with no love or affection from my master. There's work to be done, and when I love Jesus, I see his desire to help others, and I will in turn desire to help. I will in turn desire to serve. I will in turn desire to obey. I will in turn desire to submit my will and my plan and let him have control. Thank you for listening to the Pardon My Clarity podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, God bless.